So I was sitting, I was sitting uh, in a little cafe and a little area that we meet for our teaching and we're kind of between sessions and Benjamin, my son, who's recently engaged, by the way, <laughs> a proud papa right here, it's our first one to get engaged. So, you know, Wendy and I got engaged in Switzerland. Ben and Kirsten got uh, engaged in Kenya. I feel sorry for the rest of my kids, right? <laughs> if any of y'all think you're going to ask Megan to marry you, don't take her to Somerville. The answer will be no. <laughs> it's going to be expensive. Uh, so I'm sitting there, and uh, Benjamin walks into the room. I don't know he's there, and you don't know this happened, Ben. And he came and he... he just taps me on the shoulder and said, hey, Pops, walks somewhere and leaves the room. Those pastors looked at me. They said, that would not happen here. I said, what? I mean, I thought this was like such a sweet moment. He says, that's not what we do here. Fathers and sons don't act like that together. You see, we have a fear of our fathers. That I could not stand that close to my father. At any point, we stand at a distance and we're paying attention to what he says. And so they began to kind of come left and right as to what this looks like. And someone else chimed in. Yes, you don't disrespect your father. If you say something against your father, not only will he come at you, the rest of the family will come at you and they will hurt you. We, we don't have anything like what just happened. It's like, but it was so nice. <laughs> but as they say that, two of those guys in the room, I've seen them with their sons, holding hands with their little ones, walking around, beaming at their child. I have another one that just loves on his two sons, Pastor Linus. He just loves his boys. He talks about his boys. Every conversation, we're talking about his boys. He is sweet to those boys. Kind of, and I'm thinking, y'all are just messing with me because that's not what I see in you guys. And the difference is the gospel. That's the difference. That's the way we used to do things, you see where there was fear between father and son, but now, because of what's happening here with Jesus Christ, it's different. It's different. Amen. So I know you're acting tough, but you're not so tough. You really love those children, and you're raising them to be God-fearing, God-honoring, and you love them in Christ, just like the Bible says. You're not fooling me. I think about my, my own father. I know that we have a mix of fathers, uh, father experiences, but mine was a great father's experience. My dad uh, is a kind, uh, many of you know him, kind, generous, helpful, encouraging. Um, and, and so for me to imagine a father who loves in such a way is not hard at all, a heavenly father. My father was like that. But my father's father was not like that. My father's father was uh, a very 
almost like a hermit, um, did not engage, did not correct or encourage, barely even spoke to my dad. My father's father's father was abusive and beat my, my grandfather. And so my grandfather's reacting. He, he wasn't going to be like that man. He was going to be just the opposite. Instead of engaging in violence, disengaging and unrelational. So how did my father come out of that? It's the gospel. My, my father uh, was saved at camp and has been growing in the Lord ever since. And so my, my relationship with my father is, has been only of a reflection of the Heavenly Father. Not perfect, but a reflection of the Heavenly Father. So the gospel helps. <laughs> right? Gospel helps. And as I speak to these fathers here, I had a good example of a father. So you would think that I would, it would be easy peasy for me. But I tell you, for me, I'm always trying to reimagine what it is to be a good father. I'm learning what it is to be a good father. And you're kind of going, ugh, I messed up there. Could have been better. I don't even know some of this stuff, right? So for the fathers out there who are, maybe you didn't have a good example, or you're reimagining like I am, peace to you. Peace to you. The gospel's a help in that. Now today, <laughs> I say all that to be really sweet before we look at the scriptures. We're in Luke chapter 14 today, uh, starting in verse 25. We are about to be shocked by the words of Jesus. Sometimes Jesus says words that uh, says things uh, that we call them hard, the hard sayings of Jesus. He says things that when you listen to them, you go, does, this, does somebody add this into my Bible? Because this doesn't sound like Jesus at all. I don't, rem- <laughs> I don't remember him saying this. Well, we're up to one of those verses today. So as we listen to this, I want you to be patient, especially to our visitors here, as we preach through this word, that you may hear something, you're going to hear something that is going to bother you a great deal. And Jesus occasionally will say things, well, oftentimes he'll say things that really bother us. And this one's really going to bother us to begin with. And uh, so I want you to think about those candies that the kids have, you know. They didn't really have this growing up when I was little, which is about 10 years ago. Um, But they have those candies, you know, they're long stringy things and they're multicolored. And they have like crystal stuff on the outside. You don't know whether it's sugar or salt. And so you say, ooh, it's yummy, it's candy, and you put it in your mouth and you go, mm. you know what I'm talking about? And you're going, what do I have in my mouth? And then you wait for a second, and it gets sweet, you know? You know what I'm talking about? Anybody have that candy? Anybody have kids? Do you know what I'm talking about? Okay. So you eat that, and then you suck on it, and it's sweet throughout. And then you go get another one. <laughs> and the same thing, mm. Today, as we listen to these scriptures, be patient because receiving it the first time, you're going to go, hmm. Okay? So don't leave. Mr. Tommy, don't let anyone go out the door until the next 10 minutes, okay? Lock the doors. Okay, here we go. Be patient. 
Now great crowds accompanied him. Once again, we're in Luke chapter 14. Now great crowds accompanied him and he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Mm. Did you hear that? If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father, and I like to say to all you guys, happy Father's Day. Wow. Yeah, that's a little shocking. You're, you're wondering, like, how is the pastor going to get out of this? Then he says, and whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the costs? Whether he has enough to complete it. Or otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish it, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet great way, great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Yep. This starts, this is the, uh, an ongoing kind of interview with Jesus. Because in the, if you've been with us, the, the verses leading up to this is Jesus um, talking with the disciples, but he's also talking with Pharisees. And now we see the crowd is out, added in. And the parable before this is he, he is calling the people to follow after him. And there are those who come up to him and said, I can't, I can't follow you right now because I need to go bury someone or I need to go buy a field. Uh, Pastor Casey was talking about this the last couple of weeks. And so they have these excuses for why they can't follow him wholeheartedly and they can't, can't follow him now. And so the next part of the parable, Jesus says, now there was a, a, a king who had a banquet and, he, and the, those that he invited did not come. They had excuses. Those people who had excuses. Those people who were invited, who ought to be at the banquet, who knew better, said, I, I can't come because I got something else to do. There's something else that's more important, that's more pressing at the moment. I'll catch up with you later. And so he says, no, 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 no. That, I'm not going to have any of that. And what I want you to do is I'm going to, I want you to go out, servants, and I want you to go to the, to the highways and the byways, and I want you to compel people to come in. Compel. Not like, hey, would you like to come? It's like, grab them by the collar and bring them to the banquet. Because my house is going to be full. You see, because the banquet's not really for the people, it's for the king. And so my house is going to be full. And they bring all they can from the highways and the byways, the, the beat up, the miserable, the people who don't, didn't receive the invitation initially. These people who are Gentiles and who are sick and disabled and outcast and angry and violent and all people who didn't find themselves in the banquet are now compelled, he says. I want them there. So it's, it's an indictment on those who were invited and who knew better. 
and says, I'm going to bring in all these people. So the house is not even full yet, the Bible says. There's still, there's still room for more. That's good news for you and me. There, there's even more room for more. And then it transitions to verse 25. Now great crowds accompanied him. Great crowds accompanied him. So do you get the picture? They've been compelled. It's almost as if all those compelled now are walking with him. And so there's this big crowd. And the problem with the crowd is the crowd loves the crowd. And whereas you and I, especially me as preacher man, would be encouraged by a big crowd. You know, like, it's really catching on. People are really listening. They're with me. I've got a, a throng and we're going in the right direction. A big crowd is even more encouraging, right? But not to Jesus. <laughs> because Jesus turns to them and then says this. Now, I see all you folks there, but I want you to consider for a minute what we're really talking about. You've been compelled to come, but do you know what we're really talking about here? And before we go much further in this crowd, I want you to consider. I want you to consider what we're really talking about here. We're not just talking about a party. We're talking about something far more serious. And the cost may be more than you want to pay. And before we go any further, I want you to count the cost. I want you to stop for a minute and listen to the words Jesus is saying that Jesus has for us that is going to bring into focus what this, this thing that Jesus is offering us, this reason to draw a crowd. He, he, uh, he ends this little section by giving the two warnings. He, he warns about a builder at work and a king at war. And he's saying... You need, you need to be careful because you've seen builders do this. They start to do some work. Jared, you know, you know what I'm talking about. They start some doing some work. They say they're going to be there every day at work. And they don't show up. And the building falls down. Or a king at war. He realizes he doesn't, he, he doesn't really want to fight this battle. <laughs> so he should, he should quit the endeavor. So... What he's saying is that discipleship is a requirement for all those who claim Christ, who said, I've come to faith, that as people of faith, then we live by faith and we are part of discipleship, that we are beholden to Jesus wherever we go. Because what happens is in a, a crowd, even like this, there are there's kind of an imagination that there's kind of two levels of citizens within the church. There are like people who come regularly or fairly regularly, and then there are those who bring lots of food to potluck. You know what I mean? The people who are like really righteous, and the people who, uh, who are at the church all the time, the people who speak up front, the people who... Um, have more cross jewelry than everybody else. You know, these kinds of people. And you're like, okay, okay, I'm at church. I'm not that guy or that lady. You know, the really religious that you expect to get some answers from, you know. I'm just here, you know, and I'm going to go along. And it's helpful. Did you hear that? 
It's helpful. You see, that is not what Jesus says is the way it works in the kingdom of God. There aren't two levels of citizens. There are those who are disciples, who are followers after Jesus, and there are those who are not. It's one or the other. So are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? Are you a follower after Jesus Christ? And then Jesus, I mean, ramps it up. And so this is what it's going to look like. You're going to hate your father, mother, wife, children, brothers, and sisters. Even your own life. Wow. Now, when, as Jesus is saying this, there is nothing that he could say that would be more severe than to say to hate your father, mother, all these very close people. This is not the only time that Jesus has said this either. He's saying it again. He's saying that you have to hate them. Now, obviously, I would hope like there'd be spiritual maturity in here to know that Jesus isn't saying, he's speaking in a kind of like hyperbole. Like, he doesn't mean that we work against and we act out in hate against anyone. Jesus is the epitome of that. Jesus is love. God is love, First John. So what does it mean? Why does he even say these things? Because it seems like he's doing it for effect. Is there, what is the truth in this? Why would you hate your father, mother, wife, and children? And that culture, to say something like that, is doubly offensive than maybe in our culture. In our culture, especially in our American culture, we're pull yourself up by the bootstrap, live yourself independent, do your, your thing. But in this culture, there is no way to get around and away from family. I mean, family is so interconnected and, and they work so closely together. To, your family was, was your culture. It was your place in the community. It was your future. It was your present relationships and your future relationship. It was your housing. They lived many times uh, together, even in one place. It was your employment. It was your aspirations. Your family was everything. And, and much more akin to our brothers in Kenya where you would have reverence and fear of your parents and you could not go against them. Remember in, in Leviticus it says that if you were to disobey parent, a, a child who would disobey their parents, speak out against them, you would take them outside and stone them. Yeah, something like that. Serious business. And so Jesus says you have to hate them. Now, when we talk about hate, this word is used otherwise in Scripture, and it can mean like to hate and even to take action against. But this is a, a, a hate that is akin to a lesser love. So we see it also in, in the book of Genesis, where Jacob, this is the same Semitic word, same Hebrew word, where Jacob, remember he had two wives, and in some translation, because it's the same word, some, says, some translation says, and he loved Rachel and he hated Leah. And so you see other translations that say he loved Rachel and loved Leah less. And that's the idea. It is a, a degree kind of thing where your love for one thing is so much greater that it overshadows your love for all other things. That's it. 
Did you hear all that? So our love for mother and father, which may be great, <laughs> or some, it may be very little. Amen. I mean, for many, there is great strife and struggle, disappointment. But even that, too, is a kind of love turned upside down, isn't it? And can be controlling. It can be controlling as a parents who have certain expectations that you would do this, whether they, they state them or not, that you would have a certain kind of outcome to your life. And so you've been beholden to that outcome for a long time. I, I need to live like this because something deep inside of me says you ought to be like this. And so I, the voice of our fathers and our mothers is still speaking, amen, in our voices, in our heads, even though they don't even live next to us or they not, may not be alive anymore, they still are whispering things into our, into our heads and we're going, I, I think I have to obey that. And, and the answer is, does that comply what Jesus has called you to be? Has that, does that... Does that fit with who Jesus says you are? Those expectations, those intentions, those, even those hurts can rule over us. But Jesus says, in these most profoundly important relationships, in those things, they must have the lesser love. The love that you have for me must be far greater so as to cast a shadow on all of these relationships. You know, we live more in a culture today that doesn't idolize the child to parent, but the parent to child. Are you with me? Where we are to, we are to be the best, we are to provide in all of these ways, we are to uh, even hover and like, that's the most important. Like, if you can do well by your kids, you, you've, you've passed. And so we have to be careful, too, that sometimes that love overshadows the other love. I didn't hear as many amens to that, but y'all can listen to it again on, on, the, on your TV or computer at home. That's a hard one. That's a hard truth today. Because our children require so much of our time and energy. And we want to see them do well. And we don't want them to make the same mistakes that we do. And, but we have to be careful that our love, our time, our energy, our strength is so taken in that endeavor that we don't love our God. So Jesus is up in our grill today. He is uh, he's not playing around. He's speaking the truth. Now, when you hear Jesus, at first we think we might be kind of beaten up. Don't be. So salvation isn't this thing that you scroll on Amazon and you go, okay, I think I'll take salvation, quantity one, quick buy, right? I got salvation, and I get all the benefits of it. So it's helpful, like I said. Salvation is helpful. It's helpful in parenting. It's helpful in relationships. 
Jesus said you're supposed to hate folks, but really he's helping me love people better. That's the gospel, right? Part of the gospel is now we love people better. And so sometimes we think that our salvation is an exchange in which I click a button, now I've got salvation, and somehow things are going to be better because I bought the product, and now there's kind of continuing benefits, and I've got the forever warranty. Amen. Right? And it didn't cost extra. You just get the warranty. It's forever. It never breaks. Salvation is good all times. But that's not really what the, the equation is. It wasn't us scrolling. Now you're going to get me to preaching. It wasn't us scrolling and looking for salvation. Jesus looked for us and he paid the price for us. And it, when it said cost, his blood, the blood of Jesus Christ, he gave everything for you and me. He chose you and me. He was on Amazon. <laughs> and he said, I know it doesn't look like much. But that one's mine. And I'm willing to pay everything for that one. And that one is you. Just bask in that for a minute. Your name just came up on Amazon. And there's only one who really wanted you. And he paid everything for you and me. Enjoy that for a minute. We're greatly loved. Pray, let the God of the universe be willing to take a cross for you and me. Greatly loved. Greatly loved. Can someone say something against you? They can. Do they know who you are, though? Right? I was purchased by the blood of the King of the universe, to whom every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. Wow. Jesus is now saying, I have demonstrated to you this kind of love. Now I want you to take up your cross daily and follow me. I want you to participate in the same kind of love that I gave you. So now our currency with God is not a currency in which we are just kind of getting better. That the gospel is making me a better this or a better that. Some of us come to church and we've joined into the crowd because it's helpful for your family. This is a good place to raise their family. Or my family's going to be happy with me if I come. They're being patient with me. And as long as I come, things, there'll be peace in the house, right? Some people come because of business contacts. It's a good way to, to meet some people and promote my business. There's all kinds of reasons that we come. Sometimes it's just to have some friends or to have some people who maybe look a little better, act a little better than the friends out there. But I want to tell you, there's more to it than this. Jesus is calling us to take up our cross and to live this kind of love with him, with him. And the love that he paid on Amazon.com for you and me is now the kind of love he wants you to reciprocate to him. So when, when we see in Ephesians 5 that, that Jesus is talking about his relationship with the church, he calls himself the groom, and he says, and this one is the bride. Those are kind of intimate terms, my friends. It's like saying, like, I got to Jesus saying, I love you. I love you in a, a, an intimate, emotional, passionate kind of way. And that is the, the kind of currency we have with him now. So I want to encourage you, brothers and sisters, 
it's not just a taking on of like the curriculum of Christ. Of, of, if I read my Bible, if I go to church, if I do the six boxes and things are going to be good. No, he's saying, I want you to love me more than the rest. I want you to see me and think about me and pine for me. I know, I know we're getting a little charismatic here. Hold on. What you doing, pastor? And start throwing your hands in the air. But it's true and it's right. And that's what Jesus is calling us to. And this is good. And you see, when this happens, when we are... When we take up our cross and we start entering in this kind of love with him, we then can uh, spill over and love others. Jesus is calling us to be hidden in him. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, what he did is he provided a way for us to be covered by his blood. So when the Father sees us in all the mess that we're still doing and we are saved by his blood, he no longer sees our sins, but we are clothed with the righteousness of God, with the righteousness of Christ. So when he sees us, he says, Amen. I love that child. We're going, but you know, I still, yeah, oh yeah, but I see the blood of Christ. I see the blood of my son. And boy, I love you. I know we're getting a little crazy here, but, but it's so true. It is, it, we, we are hid and daily. We need to go hide in him. This is our identity. And out of, outside of Christ, who are we? We are nothing outside of the Christ, out of Christ. Jesus is calling us, come after me, pursue me. Jesus is the, is the way. So you think about, this is not a great way to get people to come to follow in the crowd. I, imagine a politician saying, look, we're going all the way to the White House. So everybody strap into the electric chair. Uh, I'll vote for you but I don't think I'm going to the electric chair for you, right? And Jesus says, you want to come after me? Take up your cross. Because I'm going to the cross. You want to go with me? What? Yeah. You want to go with me? Okay. Once we begin to realize how awesome he is, how beautiful he is, how, how much he loves us, we begin to love him back, and then we... Then we start pursuing our relationships with our fathers and our mothers and our daughters and our sons and with our neighbors. And when we do that, we no longer have to please them as they are. We don't have to live up to their expectations because we are already okay. We know who we are in Christ. And so now we can overflow in love towards them, not because of what someone else says about me or even what I say about myself, but what Christ has said about me. We can love our family because our identity is not wrapped up in their expectations. They don't rule us. We love our family, so even when they disappoint us, demand what is beyond us, they fail us. We don't hate them. We don't hate them so that we, that we do trouble with them. We love them because we have been greatly loved. By being hidden in Christ, Jesus has fulfilled us, given us a new name, called us to his agenda. Today he's calling you, come after me. You know, for those who are in discipleship, as you're carrying the cross, if you think of a criminal carrying the, his cross to Calvary, you can't just go, 
I think I'll quit now. <laughs> like you have a sentence, right? This is our sentence. We walk with Christ. And no longer is us living for ourselves. No longer is it our agenda or someone else's agenda. We say, Lord, what do you want? And we go happily towards him. To those who are in the crowd today who have been considering, I ask you to consider very deeply today. Are you following after Christ? Are you willing to go all the way to give him everything? I can tell you, it is worth every bit of it to love him more. To that saint today who's, who's struggling today, who's, maybe you've even been faithful in reading your scriptures and coming to church and you're dry, go back to him in prayer again. Spend time with him and love him and know that you are deeply loved. I hope it got a little sweeter as we went. These shocking words are meant to uh, wake us up this morning. Jesus is tenderly calling to you. Will you come to him?